Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 is going to be our text. And the message is entitled, Servants of Christ Speak the Truth. As you know, politicians are given to titles. They love the title of public servants, servants of the people. But although this may be the case, and it was at one time, and it was true to form for the majority, that is not the case today. It applies to very few of them. We know that God is able. He certainly had Daniel and Shushan the palace and, and Joseph um, uh, under Egypt. So God does have his, but it's never the majority. Now, the truth is that people are known for twisting and speaking deceptively, conveniently, and very calculatively. Uh, if you've been in the world long enough before you were born again, you know how it all works. The truth is not used for people, but for one's own parties, particularly politically, and uh, for one's cause. And the man who speaks the truth has little or no chance of ever surviving in a political arena. But once again, God is in control, so God does have people at times, and he takes care of them. The thing about being in the lion's den, you've got to make sure God puts you in the lion's den. If you put yourself in the lion's den, you're dinner. If God puts you in there, you'll survive. That's the key. Politicians are not warning the true conditions of our nation, America. In fact, they're going along with the program of anti-Americanism and anti-Christian, Judeo-Christian ethics and, and norms and morals. And so they are seeking for approval of the people. Now, here in our text, Paul the Apostle was not such a person. But he was a servant of Christ, serving the people by giving them the truth of the gospel. That is your greatest challenge in life, ladies and gentlemen. When you gave your life to Christ, when you said, forgive me for my sins, I want to accept you as my Lord and Savior, listen to me carefully. All of your decisions in mind were made at that point. And from that day on, every day I get up and God says, are you going to stand by the decision you made? When I accepted Christ, all my decisions were made. I am to decide according to the scriptures. Not my opinion, not my emotions, not my political party, but the scriptures. Real simple. And so Paul the Apostle um, has given a threefold response to the heresy embraced by the Galatians in verse 6 to 9. And in 6, it was the amazement the Apostle was at their turning away so soon. In verse 7, the announcement of the Apostle was that there was only one gospel. Not two, not three, but only one. And then in verse 9 through 10, the assessment of the apostle of being accused was for all um, or accursed, because it says anathema, the strongest word, damnation, was for all men, even angels. There's no exception. So he includes even himself. Now, that's speaking truth. When you include yourself, if you're part of the problem. Now the argument of the apostle deals with his motive regarding the threefold response for the Galatians accepting the heresy of the Judaizers here in one little verse, verse 10. Let me read here. 
He says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Here's the threefold response to what he just said in verse 6 through 9. First, Paul argues that his motive was not to seek the approval of man but God, the first part. Second, Paul argued that his motive was not to seek the favor, approval first, now favor of man, but God, the second part. And thirdly, Paul argued that his motive revealed that he was not a servant of man, but of Christ. Let's look at the first. Paul argued that his motive was not to seek the approval of man, but God. Listen again. For do I now persuade men or God? The argument of Paul is, in this verse, is to make a smooth transition from the previous verses that we pointed out. The verse looks back to the response of Paul against the Galatians embracing the false gospel of the Judaizer. The Judaizer Jews were trying to compel the Gentiles to be as Jews. They were trying to make Judaism or Christianity an extension of Judaism. That's never to be. The law opposed to grace, circumcision of man opposed to the circumcision of Christ, one with hands, the other one without hands. In fact, in verse 11 and 12, the verse makes a transition from the false gospel to the true gospel. Verse 11 and 12. In verse 11, the origin was of divine revelation, the gospel. In verse 12, the teacher was Jesus Christ, not man. So he makes this very clear. Now, the verse links Paul to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that proclaims Jesus died for our sins that you can see in verse 4. Verse 5, the gospel that credits Jesus with all the glory. So the gospel is divine and the sacrifice is divine and the glory is God. Nobody else's. This is what the gospel proclaims. It's not a philosophy. It's not a religion. It's not some type of, you know, self-induced teaching. Now notice the argument of Paul is by the use of the rhetorical question. A rhetorical question, as you know, has a very obvious answer. It cannot be mistaken. It's clear as day. Like when a father would uh, come to his son and say, uh, you know, his son would give him some outrageous uh, story that he, instead of the truth, and the father would say to his son, do I look stupid? Now, the answer is not yes. Okay? You don't want to say yes. Or a daughter would tell her mother, some lame story why she came in late at night. And her mom would say, do you think I just fell off the turnip truck? Don't say yes. It has an obvious answer. The scriptures contain many such rhetorical questions, as you know. Amos says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3.3, 3. it's no. We agree with God, his holiness, his word. Paul asks the rhetorical question and answers it himself in Romans 6, 1 and 2. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. God forbid, perish the thought. How should we who died to sin live any longer in it? So it's no, no, no. Now the argument of Paul by the rhetorical question reveal his true, listen, loyalty to God. The Judaizers had apparently accused Paul falsely 
to the Galatians. You and I know human nature, right? Somebody comes to you, whispers in your ears, they're falsifying information, they're slandering somebody, they make you think that they're the good ones, right? That's what we do in sin nature. They had accused Paul of having false motives for his preaching. They said he was attempting to make the Galatians' relationship to God easy by requiring them um, to not keep the law in order to seek their acceptance. So he says, well, you know, I really don't want them to keep the law. I got circumcised. This way, you know, it'll be easier. This is the way they present it. But the fact of the matter that the word persuade, there is a bad translation, for God cannot be persuaded. But means to try and seek the approval of someone. The tense is the indicative present. Listen, it's saying this, quote, Am I trying to get the approval of men by pronouncing these curses? It's obvious. No. If you want the approval of men, you don't say, listen, if you preach another gospel, you're going to go to hell. You don't, you don't get people to like you when you say that. And Paul includes himself. So you've got this dialogue going back and forth of argument. The word appears three other times in the epistle. It's translated obey, obeying, and confidence in Galatians 3, 1, 5, 7, and 5, 10. So the context will indicate what it's implying. Now, the rhetorical question proved the opposite of the false accusations. It cleared up the false slander and lies regarding the motives of Paul for preaching the gospel of faith alone. People will slander you and I and anyone else who preaches faith alone, the gospel alone. They'll say you're self-righteous, you, you know, you're just... You're not all inclusive, especially in this multicultural, nauseating throw-up bowl that we live in. Then you become a bigot, right? Hmm. How interesting, you're not a bigot if you choose the green light to go on rather than the red light. Or when you balance your checkbook, a three is really a three, not a five. Why aren't you called a bigot then? Why aren't you all inclusive? Interesting. Or whether you plug your iron into the wall or your fingers. Okay? Wow. The false teacher has said that Paul had watered down the strict requirements of the original gospel that they taught to gain approval of men and Gentiles. Well, they, they had no gospel. They had the law. The Greek scholar Lenski uh, states the following. Listen carefully. The word for, in this instance, cannot mean as either stating a reason or offering an explanation. The insertion of now as a confirming adverb which speaks the now of and, and, and repeats the now of verse 9, okay, restricts us to the thought of what Paul is doing with these startling verdicts pointing to their plain sense that he was not seeking the approval of man. Literally says, am I now seeking the approval of men by proclaiming these curses? It's simple when you put it that way. Of course not. The rhetorical question has only one right answer. 
Paul was seeking the approval of God, not man. That will be your greatest challenge if you're a Christian every day of your life. The choices will be presented to you, the opportunities, the times will change. Good times, bad times, moral times, unmoral times, everything else. And you are going to have to make a decision whether you're going to be consistent in the same answer, in the same choice. Paul was attempting to reveal their deception. As he says later on in chapter 3, verse 1, and so he says, Foolish Galatians, uh, who has bewitched you? Have you now begun the spirit? Are you going to be perfect in the flesh? Of course not. There's another rhetorical question. It's impossible. You know, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed, the proverb says. Faithful the wounds of a friend, but the kids of the enemy are deceitful, Proverbs 27, 5, and 6 says. I've told you many, many, many times. Maybe you get tired of it, but you shouldn't. If you've got friends and people that are always telling you how hot you are, go out and get some real friends. Someone's going to say, you know, you're being a jerk right now. You're not being very Christian-like. Why are you doing that? Why would you want to go there? I mean, isn't that what we tell our children as parents? But when it's the, the, the thing is turned around and it's got to us, our father, then we don't like it. Then we act like our children, right? It's the same parallel. No different. The tendency of the natural man is to always seek the approval of man instead of God. It's in our DNA. Man is quick to learn the personal benefits that come from approval of people who have power and authority. That's how the world works around us. Men understand quickly that uh, to agree with people of wealth and position, rather than opposing them, uh, they'll be rewarded in kind. So there are some people that, want, that will be around, not opposed, simply not to make waves, and others will pretty soon catch on that they may get blessed by it. And they're in it more for the things they're going to get and who they can hang out with. And James puts it this way in James 2.1. He warns us about the respect of a person. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Jew or Gentile, poor or rich. The context is poor and rich. Regardless of who they are, we're to treat everybody the same. Nobody different. Now, the liberal educators and politicians in our society know they, have, they, they can um, uh, have the approval of young people if they embrace anti-Americanism and oppose the Christian Judeo faith, morals, and ethics. This is the day that we're living in. This is the cultural, amoral society of multiculture that we live in. It makes them likable. It wins them votes. And it presents them as loving, non-judgmental about people's alternate lifestyle, whether it be homosexual, bisexual, asexual, transsexual, or transvestite, or whatever. I think the latest text in the college text is 13, 14, or 15 categories. My Lord, are you kidding me? Now listen to me. Whenever you deviate from the norm on anything, you at that point are responsible for every consequence thereafter. You deviate from the norm of sexual conduct that's only for marriage. You are responsible for everything that happens thereafter. You deviate from the norm that a three is a three, balancing your checkbook. You are responsible for everything thereafter. It is not an exception, ladies and gentlemen. It is a rule. A rule of life. 
as much as gravity. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 6, but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Now, of course, that applies to men also. You see, some of us was just getting in right now from Saturday night, (laughs) years ago. And on Saturday night when we were partying, we thought we were living. Oh, man, did we have a blast. We were committed to dying. And we didn't know that then, but we do know that now. We're not saying we're better. We're not saying we never did anything. We're saying we were blind and dead, and now we see how blind, how dead we were. While we thought we were living, we were dying. We were dead. If you live for the approval of God, you will be telling the truth about deception by the proclamation of the gospel. That's not a popular thing. That means you declare what the gospel reveals about God, man, sin, repentance, death, and judgment. That's not popular. It will cost you. It has cost me among the Christian community in the past 10 years. As our nation went amoral, multicultural, and I have spoken out against it, politically correct, it has cost me my life and ministry, but God takes care of all that. It makes no difference. You must make a decision. That means that you are not interested in the approval of men. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter three fifteen through 17. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who will ask you a reason for the hope that lies in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if the will of God is to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So when people defame, we're to live in such a way to prove them wrong. Simple. So Paul argued that his motive was not to seek the approval of man, but God. Such an important thing. Notice secondly, Paul argued that his motive was not to seek the favor of man, but God. Because approval comes first. The favor is what you're seeking. Or do I seek to please men, he says? The argument of Paul is once again presented by the use of the rhetorical question. Remember, it has only one obvious answer, unmistakable. The second rhetorical question is consistent with the thought of the first one. The answer, therefore, must be again, no. Every time. The argument of Paul by the rhetorical question reveal his true faithfulness to God once again. The Judaizers had once again accused Paul falsely to the Galatians. They had accused Paul of having insincere motives for his preaching. Now, I can judge your actions but I can't judge your heart. I don't know why you do it. I don't know your motive. Only God knows our motive. 
They said he was um, accommodating himself to please the Galatians by holding back on the requirements of circumcision in the law. The word please there means to accommodate oneself to the opinions, desires, and interests of others in order to gain their favor. The two verbs are complementary by seeking their approval. Paul sought to gain that or their favor. The word is used for the daughters, the daughters of, um, of Herodias, remember, when she danced before Herod and she pleased him. In Matthew 14, 6. And the word is also used for the decision of the apostle to appoint seven uh, men for the distribution um, to please the whole multitude in Acts 6, 5 with the distribution of food for the Hebrew um, widows in that. The context of the rhetorical question will determine if it's good or evil, what is being talked about. So the rhetorical question, once again, proves the opposite of the false accusations. And all of us as Christians have to be real keen to realize that not everybody who is a Christian um, is walking in the Spirit, is absolutely committed, and it doesn't mean that none of those people come here. (laughs) It means that there are people who are carnal, who are still living under their sin nature, And they're just as bad, if not worse, than some people who are not born again. That's just the way they live. And they call themselves Christians. Paul the Apostle was motivated to be approved by God, thereby pleasing God, not man. By identifying the different gospel, Heteros in verse 6, one of different quality, not of the same nature or former class. So he says right there, if you're going to teach something that's completely different from what we gave to you, then you're going to go to hell. Anathema. In fact, he doesn't say you're going. He says go. Verse 7, by exposing the actions of the false teachers to pervert, the word pervert there, Reserved to turn about, to reverse the gospel of grace. Twist it. And in verse 8 and 9, by announcing the curse on himself and other apostles, even angels who would preach another gospel that they had not received. Heteros, heterosexual, male, female. That's where the word comes from, heteros, different. Homo is the same. So the gospel we gave to you in context, in content, must be the same that you impart to others. If it is not, then you, you will not make it to heaven. Those are strong words, not mine, but the Apostle Paul. Now you say that, they say you're saying it, and they say you're a bigot. You're a hypocrite. No, you're not. What you are is biblical. Now, we need to be careful how we say it, that we're not self-righteous. This is why Paul preached Christ alone, apart from the law. The law accused and condemned man. None of us have ever gotten a citation from a policeman for good driving, I presume. But we have gotten tickets, right? 
I deserve a ticket every time I get behind the wheel. And so do you. And then we get so appalled when they pull us over and give us one. The gospel of grace reconciled man to God by the atoning work of Christ alone. Now notice the argument of Paul does not mean that he did not go out of his way to accommodate the gospel to the culture if it did not violate the content of grace through faith. That's very important. The key is cultural, not spiritual. To water down the gospel, accommodating the gospel to men. Paul the Apostle, when he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19-23, he says this. First he gives us his perspective. Listen carefully, verse 19. For though I am a free, so though, though I, um, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself servant to all, that I might win the more. So, I'm serving God, but in serving God, I'm serving man, and I make myself a servant of all, that as many that can and are willing to be saved will be saved. Then his passion in verse 20, and to the Jews I became a Jew that I might win the Jews, to those who were under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. So I'm a Jew by, by birth, okay? So when I go to the synagogue, I preach. I don't get up and say, anybody have some pork chops? You know, he doesn't say that, okay? You understand, it's not, it's not kosher, that's not cool. It doesn't mean he compromised. It means he preached Christ out of the Old Testament. But he understood certain things were offensive, so he didn't do it. Then his pursuit is in verse 21. He says, To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law towards God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. That's the Gentiles. So I go to the Gentiles, and when I preach the Gentiles, I preach Christ alone, not law, not food, not any of that. And if I sit on a knee and they give me a pork chop, I eat it. Now, if you don't believe me, read Galatians chapter 2. Peter was eating with the Gentiles, maybe some pork chops. And then the Jews came up from Jerusalem and he tiptoed over the kosher table. And Paul gets in his face, say, you hypocrite. He got on him. His postures in verse 22. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Why some? Because not all will receive the gospel. The limitation on salvation is never on God. It's always on man. Man limits God. God sends nobody to hell. Men and women send themselves to hell by rejection of the only gospel. Then his pure motive is given in verse 23. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. So now he brings it all together. I am one just like you in need of salvation, and I'm hoping that our group becomes more in number. That's his heart. And so Paul was stoned, as you know, by Jews from Antioch and Iconium as they um, persuaded the multitudes at Lystra in Acts 14.19. Now, they didn't stone him because they liked him. They stoned him because they didn't like what he was preaching. Paul and Silas were beaten with rods and imprisoned in Philippi in Acts 16, 22 through 24 because they preached the gospel. I've never been beaten. I've never been thrown in jail for the gospel. Paul was nearly killed in the temple in Acts 21 because he preached the gospel and said Gentiles could be saved apart from the law. 
The Apostle Paul was not giving in to the pressures of the Judaizers who taught the Gentiles had to be circumcised to be saved. You remember Acts chapter 15? They went up to Antioch, started preaching that. So they said, not on your life, let's go down to Jerusalem. So they went down to Jerusalem and they, uh, um, and they got the elders together and they began to talk with James and Peter and they all stood up one by one. They said, listen, we're saved by grace through faith and if God has given to the Gentiles this gift of God, the Holy Spirit, as well as to us, and they sent out letters that, you know, some men have gone out to trouble you and be it known to you that you don't have to follow the law and that you're saved by grace through faith and they dispersed them. These were the Judaizers. And so Paul was teaching circumcision, so the, uh, um, not circumcision by, uh, under the law, but the circumcision of Christ without hands, so they were persecuting him. In fact, in Galatians 5.11 it says, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. So if, I, if, I'm, if I'm preaching um, circumcision, then why am I being persecuted? The Judaizers were teaching circumcision to escape persecution. It was just the reverse. And you know how this works. People will come to you, tickle your ear, and try to slam somebody else. Uh, they're, they're doing this to them, but they're, they're, they're the ones that really are doing it. We, we all know human nature. Galatians 6.12, he says, As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. It was just the reverse. The Judaizers um, were, were not being persecuted because they were going along with the program of circumcision. Paul is speaking against it to be saved, so of course they're persecuting him. He's obeying God. So he gets persecuted. They're obeying man, so they don't get persecuted. Wow. Then in Galatians 6.14, the apostle was not glorying in his flesh, but in the cross of Jesus Christ, unlike the Judaizers. Paul unveils his heart. Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There's the principle that I gave you at the beginning. Every decision that you will ever have to make was made when you accepted Christ Jesus. Your choices are always scriptural and for Christ and his glory. It's not if it costs you. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you every day of your life. Sometimes a little bit, sometimes a lot. Galatians 6.13, Paul unmasked the Judaizers, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They're looking for notches on their belt. He's my disciple. Men love to be looked up to. They love, you can just hear these Judah. yeah, we, we, we got 10 back from Paul boasting always in their numbers and all that. When actually, Jesus says, by the time you get done with this new proselyte, you make him twice a child of the devil. <laughs> Amazing. The Judaizers were the ones whose motives were insincere. The Judaizers were the ones who were hypocrites. The liberal Christians are the hypocrites. They're the ones that are unscriptural. Not you who hold to the scriptures. The emergent church with their liberal interpretations subjectively of scripture. 
who call you legalistic. We have the reputation of being unloving legalistic because we hold to the scriptures. Because we use Matthew 18. Because you confront sin. Because you discipline spiritually. Some people in the world, some parents in the world think you're a worse parent because you discipline your children. But as a parent, you, need, you know you need to, right? It's the way it is. Paul's motive was the reconciliation of the Galatians because he loved them. Love is always the proper motive. When liberty was offered to John Bunyan when he was in prison on condition of abstaining from the preaching of the gospel, he consistently replied, quote, If you let me out today, I shall preach again tomorrow. You know he is in prison for life. He wrote the book, Pilgrim's Progress, second most read after the Bible. Great book. Our motive for confronting people is that they may turn from their error, pleasing God, not man. Paul puts it this way, 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 through 5, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts, for neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. And so we live in such a way that God sees our heart and that God is the one that's going to disapprove us or approve us. Paul advised Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 23 through 26, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they gender strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle at all, able to teach, patient, and humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. This is you and I before we came to Christ. We're back at that party. We're having a blast. We think we're living. We're really dying. I was committed to dying. I wouldn't eat for a long time. I would drink a lot. I wouldn't sleep. I was just young, and I was just beating up the car. You know, you go buy a new car, you beat it up. It won't start smoking or knocking. But after 50000 and now it's going to show. You can abuse things at the beginning. It doesn't seem that it's going to affect it. Be patient. Our motives will, at times, be misunderstood. But we must trust God and please Him. And the greatest people who are looking to your life is your children. That is your first classroom, parents, your children. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Now, Paul is not saying that I look at myself and I don't judge myself, or, or because I judge myself, look and I don't find nothing, I'm okay. No, he's saying even though I may look, and I do look at myself, but... I don't, I'm, not, I'm not settling my final judgment as the final judgment because if I don't find something myself, if I open my heart to God, he would find something. 
You understand? How many times do you and I say, no, 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 I, that, that wasn't my motive. And all of a sudden God nails me. Oh, yeah, it was. I'm a bad judge. I don't, I don't find my own judgment to be the final judgment. If I'm open to God, God will direct and show me how bad I am. Paul told the Corinthians that his motive was God's agape. Now for the third time, I am ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. For the children, not, not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Listen carefully. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Are you a parent? You know exactly what this means. What you do for your children, you do because you love them. They think you want to make their life miserable. Do you know how many people have thought I was the hottest thing since ice cream when they first came here? In 35 years, and if I step on their toes now, I am the worst. So what our children think about us, people think about leaders or by Christians who walk in the Spirit. It's the same parallel. So every person who serves, and all of you should be serving, should hide this in your heart. The more I love you, the less I be loved. Can you handle that? By doing the right thing. It will cost you. Our motive um, should always be ready to distinguish what is absolutely relative to faith, the gospel of salvation, and what is not, so as to not be legalistic under the law. Uh, some believe they can eat meat, others just vegetables, 1 Corinthians 8.8. 8. Now, do you want to eat meat? Fine. You want to just eat vegetables? Fine. But if you say now that vegetables is the biblical way, that's wrong. Okay? So... It's up to you. You want to eat meat, you get older, you get more cholesterol, you're just going to die and beat them to heaven. That's all. It's your choice. No big deal. You know what I mean? But it has nothing to do with salvation, right? Every believer has responsibility to matters of conscience. Listen to 1 Corinthians 8, 9. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. So, you understand certain things that you don't want to do for whatever reason. You have to be careful that those things that don't touch salvation, that you don't impose that on others. There are some people who, who do not have a TV in their home. They just do not want a TV in their home. I respect that. I don't think I'm better than them. I don't think I'm worse than them. Now, if you have TV, you have to use Judgment, because more so, all that goes on. It's indoctrination to a morality completely. I hate the commercial that's on all the time. I am your father. And they feed the kid with a spoon. Then you hear another voice and another man coming in the picture. I am your father. That's indoctrination for two daddies. And they do the same with mommies. So you need to be judicious and understand that it's indoctrination. Okay? What are you watching? Garbage in, garbage out. So you are responsible for those judgments and your children are watching. 
Others may feel they can go to the movie. Now, I'm not talking about R-rated or any Cochino TV or stuff like that, okay? Um, others wouldn't be caught dead in the theater. Ambassador Chuck used to share that. He says, you know, he's a kid. He grew up in a legalistic um, um, Pentecostal church, and one time he went to the theater, and he just couldn't even enjoy it. He, he, just, he was afraid that if the Lord came back while he was in there, he'd be left behind. <laughs> you know what I mean? But these are things of indoctrination also, okay? You have to be careful. And still others um, um, would not have freedom to wear certain things, fashion or jewelry, you know? Um, now, it's a matter of conscience, you know? I, I think you can be a lady and have the latest fashions without bringing attention to yourself or accentuating your body uh, or even wear some jewelry. Just make sure you don't look like a Christmas tree. But, you know, it's just... You know, um, but we're different in those things, right? Um, so we must be very careful to not equate these things with salvation. Um, though we have to understand that Christ has called us to holiness, and we not bring offense to any person, but we're to please God, not man, but we're to make sure we don't stumble man at our own liberalities in 1 Corinthians ten thirty one to 36 we want to do all that we can that many be saved and we don't stumble others. So we have a certain responsibility. Now, Paul argued then that his motive was not to seek the favor of man, but God. 30, he finishes up there at the end of 10. Paul argued that his motives revealed that he was not a servant of man, but of Christ. Comes down to servanthood. Listen to this word, for if I, I still please man... I would not be the servant of Christ. The argument of Paul comes to a conclusive truth based on the two rhetorical questions. First, based on the first fact that Paul has already made clear that he was not seeking the approval of man, but God. The beginning of verse 10. He was being falsely accused and slandered by the Judaizers. Secondly, based on the fact that Paul has already made clear that he was not seeking to please man. So, the approval, the pleasure of man over God. That's never to be. Paul says the severity of his proclamation by the word anathema. That's a pretty strong word. The strongest word of damnation in the Greek. And he includes himself and angels as we pointed out. Now notice the argument of Paul with its conclusion is confirmed in the negative to confirm the positive in the service of Christ. The apostle presents a negative hypothetical condition. The imperfect indica indicative here, the tense, presents the present unreality. Listen, for if I still please men, it's a hypothetical question that is not true, in fact, okay? For if I still please men. Something... This refers to Paul's life before Christ as a Pharisee rendering service to men. The context is completely strained. That's not it at all. The apostle presents the negative result of the hypothetical condition. Again, the imperfect indicative tense here, the condition was not true. But if it was true, it would reveal that he was not to be a servant of Christ. If it was true, he couldn't be a servant of Christ. He'd be a servant of man. Okay? So it's hypothetical, untrue. 
The, imp the impact of this negative statement has just the opposite meaning, the positive. He was a servant of Christ. Due to the fact that he was not seeking the approval or the pleasure of man. Both he is rejecting. The word servant doulos, as you know, means a servant by choice, the Old Testament sacrifice of one's own life for another, a master. You serve for six years, the seventh you were set free. If you didn't want to be free, you would tell your master. He could take a hammer and all, put your ear by the, by the doorpost, put a hole in it, put an earring in your ring, and you were a servant of your master by life. That's a doulos, a bond slave. That's the word right here. The word appears 125 times in the New Testament. Favorite one of Paul. So the implication being the sole desire and goal was to be servant of his master and to do his will in order to be approved by his master and to please his master. As a servant of Christ, his loyalty was completely to Christ because he belonged to him. As a servant of Christ, his duty was to be faithful and obey every word for his life was not his own. And as a servant of Christ, he bore the marks of persecution of the Lord in his own body, Galatians 6.17. I don't have any marks on my body. I've never been whipped. I've never been beat with rods. I've never been tortured for Christ. Polycarp, at 86 years of age, was um, urged to reproach Christ by a Roman soldier rather than to be burned at the stake. Listen to his reply. Quote, 86 years have I served him and never has he done me any injury? How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? You know, the, the older you get, the closer you get to the finishing mark, and you can see it much clearer. And I know one thing about people who run a race. When they get close to the, to the finishing mark, they can see it. That's when the adrenaline kicks in. You try to run as fast as you can, the faster you ever have. Because you want to cross that line, okay? You don't want to fall short. The older you get... The, the faster you should be running. <laughs> they are so dedicated. They'll even throw themselves over. Do a face plant. They don't care. Now if they do that for a corruptible crown. How much more should we do it for the glory of God? Our actions to preach the gospel without compromise. Reveals that we're servants of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen. Being a man or a woman of the word is important. Listen, 2 Timothy 2.15. Um, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A workman does not need to be ashamed. Rightly divide the word of truth. You can take the word, divide it. You can understand what it's saying in context. You know the interpretation of that verse, that section, that chapter, that book. You know what it meant for the people that day. Biblical interpretation. Simple. Being a doer of the word is important, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, and he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, meaning the gospel, and is not forgetful here, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he or she does. James 1, 23 to 25. We all understand that. Perfect imagery. Look in the mirror and you, you don't walk away. Who the heck was I? What did I look like? No. That's to have spiritual dementia. My mom has dementia. I go pick her up and I take her to my house. It's only about a five to seven minute drive. She will ask me the same thing at least 20 times in that seven-minute drive. 
because she has long-term memory but not short-term memory. I don't say, Mom, lighten up. What is your problem? No, I understand her condition. I just, no, Mom, that's not true. Oh, there's this. Oh, yeah, I just move on. But that's not supposed to happen to us. That's a willful decision that we make if we forget what we look like. That should not be our case. Being an ambassador of the word is important. Paul asked in prayer this, As for me, or in for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains, that in it I speak boldly as I ought to speak. Ephesians six nineteen through 20. There's the challenge. The God would give me boldness in a culture that is multicultural, amoral, unethical, anti-Christian. But I'm so glad the New Testament was written under persecution. Because I can never say, well, they had it much better than I do. (laughs) You have to understand the audience that is speaking to you in the New Testament. That are a hundred times, a thousand times worse than we ever will. Or do. Our entire lives are to be an example of servants of Christ. By this shall I know that you're my disciples if you have loved one for another. John 13, 35. That love is directed by God's word so that it's pure. It's honorable. It agrees with God. By the servant's mind that's to be put on every day. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus who didn't take it robbery to be equal with God. But he emptied himself. Made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a servant and died. Obedient to the death of the cross. And for that reason, a name has been given to him above every other name. That the name of Jesus, every tongue would confess, every knee would bow. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Wow. What kind of mind are you and I supposed to have? The servant mind of Christ. Being God, he became man. And he came to wash feet and die. For who? Rotten sinners. Wow. Pretty humbling. By our lives being lived out in the roles that God has given to us as husbands and wives, children, sons, daughters. That we align ourselves with the roles that God has given to us according to the scriptures. Again, if we deviate from the norm, we can't escape the consequences. Many Christians have deviated in the roles of husbands and wives according to the Bible, and they have paid a price with each other, with their children, and other things. Now, please, you can be the most honorable, the most scriptural. You align yourself with the roles, and your children can still make wrong decisions. The key is that they're not doing it because they're seeing it through you. Are we clear on that? Okay? God doesn't hold you responsible for the sins of your children. He holds you responsible for your children while you are raising them under your home, under age. And to confront them and to deal with them and not deviate, to be the example for them. And so many Christian families have paid a big price. Their children because of their disobedience. By our single-mindedness as a faithful soldier, listen, 
You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engages in warfare, entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlists him as a soldier. 2 Timothy 2, 3-4. Those of you who have served, understand as a soldier, you have no rights. You have nothing but responsibility. You do what you're told. You go where you go. You sleep the time they tell you to sleep, little or much. You eat what they give you, and you never gripe. But from what I hear from my son, it's a little different today. <laughs> but you understand the metaphor. It's always been for any army that's going to be a victorious army. And who is a true army? You count the cost. By our life of faith, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. Those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11, 6. Faith always points us back to the word of God, the revelation of God. And by our abhorrence for false teaching, Jesus said, but whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in, who believes in me to stumble, it'd be better for him to, for a millstone to be hung around his neck and to be thrown into the sea, Mark 9, 42. Jesus meek and mild, there it is. Is he a bigot? Is he a hypocrite? Wow. The reason being is that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will... Be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is, is synonymous with man and money. You cannot serve both at the same time. You can have them both, but you can't serve them both equally. Just like you cannot have two girlfriends and like them the same. Or two boyfriends. God forbid you try two wives or two husbands. You're over your head now. Paul argued that his motive revealed that he was not a servant of man, but of Christ, ladies and gentlemen. Man. The argument of the Apostle Paul has dealt with the motive regarding the threefold response for the Galatians accepting the heresy of the Judaizers. Do you know how much heresy is being embraced in the Christian community, colleges, universities, seminaries? It's all over Christian TV, Christian radio. Paul argued that his motive was not to seek the approval of man, but God. Approval. Paul argued that his motive was not to seek the favor of man, but God. Approval progresses to favor. And Paul argued that his motives revealed that he was not a servant of man, but Christ. Who are we serving? Man or Christ? Christ is the right answer, <laughs> not man. Father, thank you for your grace, your goodness. Thank you for just your love for us, Lord, and all that you do. We pray that in all things you would be honored. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent from your sins. Maybe you're over the Internet. Or maybe you're hearing over the Internet, radio station. If you don't know Jesus Christ... You can accept him as your Lord and Savior. He died for you. He loves you. If you believe that he died for you, 
then you can call upon his name and he will save you and forgive you and give to you eternal life. If this is your desire, this is your prayer to Jesus Christ. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.